Hello, and welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for people who are not conspiracy theorists. (laughs) Great. I can host. (laughs) Also, this is the podcast for um, the 50% of the public, according to Pew Research. So we'll just throw that out there. So we're expecting, like... 150 million more listeners here in the near future. Yes, exactly. Tell all your friends. Yeah. They'll they'll all like it. We're for them. (laughs) We're the people's podcast people. We are. We're for you. My name is Karen Ernst, and I'm the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstra, general pediatrician at Blank Trones Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. And today we have a great episode about dads. Um, I, I like dads. I like my dad. I like that mm-hmm. my husband's a dad. Uh, but, you know, I think we can do a better job of incorporating dads into medical decision making and and incorporating them into our advocacy for vaccines. So if that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk to a comedian slash former lawyer slash stay-at-home dad to twins slash writer, Dean Masello. So I'm going to do my Around the Web here, which is about a dad and a mom. And it's actually a piece of satire that's on thehardoftimes.net, which is not a satire site that I had been familiar with. But the article, which this is old, by the way, this is from May of 2016, but I've seen it circulating. And the title, I don't want to spoil too much of it. You should go and read it. It's funny. It's a little salty. It's a little not suitable for work. But the title of it is Punk Parents Blame Child's Terrible Taste in Music on Vaccinations. (laughs) And the uh, photo depicts a a couple uh, clad in black with colored hair and uh, you know, some kind of band on the t-shirt and their little sweet little toddler with a Wiggles t-shirt. And <laughs> so I, it's a nice little piece of satire uh, for uh, just to pick, just, just making a little light of how parents who are against vaccines seem to blame everything on vaccines from, from the, and we'll, uh, we'll, I think get into this a little bit later uh, with what I believe is going to be your around the web, but the, um, you know, that some, I've seen parents list, you know, all these things that are ordinary, you know, common things that kids get and they're blaming it on immunizations. You know, eczema is fairly common. Getting sick and colds and this kind of thing is fairly common. Uh, and, 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 uh, you know, not liking the music that your parents like is really <laughs> common and you might notice it soon after being immunized is true. Now, as a parent whose children are entirely sick and do not ever want to hear either any nineties music or the Hamilton soundtrack, <laughs> I can entirely relate to this family. Uh, and, and I, I can see that that could be a connection there. Absolutely. So what do you you got? know, when I was a kid, <laughs> yeah. I was actually in middle school, yeah. and I decided to tell my parents that I hated the Beatles. The oh, Beatles, my. The Beatles were the worst. And, yeah. and instead, the band I felt was way superior to the Beatles. <laughs> the Monkees? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, the Monkees are yeah. so much better than the Beatles. And I just remember... <laughs> The look on my mother's face, like her soul <laughs> had been crushed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> but, you know, oh, there were far man. fewer vaccines in those days, so you can't blame that. <laughs> well, you you were certainly not too busy singing to put anybody down. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to get to my around the web because I think we're going to okay. probably talk about it for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um. Something that's sort of started out by the anti-vaccine people uh, about a week or two ago is this hashtag. And I'll just give some background on this hashtag. Our, the purpose, really, of the hashtag is sort of across Instagram, across Facebook, across Twitter to take over the conversation about vaccines and sort of spoil National Infant Immunization Week. They're really hoping that it snowballs into something big by the end of April. April is their target month. So the hashtag is said no mother. And they're just these photos of moms. And that's that's important because it's not photos of children. It's photos mm-hmm. of moms with little stories. Some of them are sort of a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Um 
and and then it ends with the hashtag said no mother. So, you know, for example, gee, I'm sure glad my child had, you know, head banging, screaming seizures all the time. And I gave her the D tap, even though that doesn't even prevent, you know, pertussis said no mother. It's like, whoa. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think the point is to sort of scare parents about what happens when you vaccinate your kids, uh, mm-hmm. even though those things don't happen. So that's the first part of it. The second part, though, is that the pro-vaccine world is uh, so much better than it was a long time ago when the Internet and Facebook were still new. Um and so there's been sort of a swift response with people doing other said no mothers like, gee, I'm sure glad my child, you know, has SSPA, SSP from the measles that an mm-hmm. unvaccinated child gave him said no mother. Right. So um, I, and I'm, I'm encouraged by that because I think that the way, you know, that there are a lot of hashtags that the anti-vaxxers take over so that, you know, if anyone sees a, a like the CDC or healthcare provider, anyone using a hashtag, they try to take it over and, and spoil it. Um, an, an example was a few years ago, they tried to take over Vax with me, V-A-X, yeah. w, you know, with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so now, you know, we're, we, we always learn and we always adapt. And so we're starting to take over with that. Um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit in a second about some of my encounters with the said no mother uh, hashtag, but you know, I, I I really think it's important for people to know that I have yet to see a single one of those that I was like, oh, yep, a vaccine caused that. They're all sort of uh, preposterous theories about what caused their child's whatever. Have you seen any that were particularly ludicrous? You know. I, yeah, I've seen probably the one that is most interesting to me was the, when Jenny McCarthy threw her hat Mm -hmm. into the ring or whatever she throws into the ring. She um, has, and I don't know how it came about, but it's official in some capacity because she posted it to her own Facebook page. And that had a lot of things where I was reading, I'm like, well, this, your child has a major issue that is not vaccine related. It's clear from what you wrote here. If your child, if this is all true, your child has a serious underlying disorder that was not uh, like that needs work up and to be figured out that it's not from vaccines, something that your child was born with, because these things don't, you know, this doesn't sound at all like, like something that could be. Um, vaccine related. So I have seen others that were just, I, I, I had one pulled up that was kind of just a list of like really common childhood things um, right. that the, that they My had. child lost all of his teeth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, this is one. I, this one is one where it says, I loved watching my daughter suffer from jaundice, toxic Gosh. diarrhea, oh constipation, thrush, eczema, respiratory and neurologic issues as an infant, and who continues to suffer all because of a prevention based on lies, depopulation, and greed. Said no mother ever. <laughs> so, yeah. You know why no mother said that? Right. So I have several <laughs> thoughts here, and I would, I'm, I don't want to tell the anti-vaccine movement how to do their job and to do good PR, but I can't imagine that this movement is going to be successful for several reasons. One, they're they're kind of like a lot of these interesting, like you mentioned, the it's the it's the mom and they're almost like glamour shots on some of them. They're not very authentic looking. They're not most of them, I mean there's some here that I don't know I don't know which of these on Twitter are made by the official group and which aren't. There's a few here that do have like a family uh or that have the child, but the ones that I saw kind of headlining were just faces like a photo shoot photo of a mom and then the accompanying text is so like you have to actually try to read and figure out what are they trying to say yeah because it says said no mother but this is a quote by that mother trying to be sarcastic about it so you have to figure out did, did this happen this is you're describing your experience but you you don't really mean this part but you say said no mother 
I that takes you know I can figure it I can parse it but I can't imagine this is going to have widespread people are going to look at this like oh I totally see where they're coming from when they did hear this well as much as as exploitative as that was of children and and as much as the anti-vaccine movement continues to exploit disabled children that was straightforward that was just hear this well I'm going to tell my experience I'm going to get an emotional response this is straightforward this is not straightforward and it lends itself so easily to just flipping it it's so easy for a pro-vaxxer to say I want my child to get measles encephalitis instead of a poke in the leg, said no mother ever. That makes sense. Right. This doesn't make sense. It doesn't. And the photos of the mother really highlight how much of their advocacy is about themselves. Right. Um, You know that, and and I know that sounds harsh, and to people who maybe haven't studied the anti-vaccine movement as much as we have, it might sound mean, but... For a lot of these really staunch anti-vaxxers, there's a lot of woe is meism about you know their children's eczema. Um, you know, it's it's really hard to have a child who has eczema and have to you know put lotion on his legs and mm-hmm. and you know I I don't want to make light of lex of eczema right. because it really can be painful and hard, mm. but it's it's about your kid, uh, and that seems to get lost in this said no mother hashtag too uh and something that if we're gonna take it over we really might want to consider how to put the kids front and center well and when i am seeing i you know i am enjoying seeing the the actual facebook when you go to the hashtag and there's two hashtags some of them are said no mother some of them said no mother ever i don't know what the official one is but a lot of the um the, the 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 actually autistic autism advocates um are taking it over and kind of saying those things like yeah great this is your experience but this is our experience as people with disability um and it's i i, I like seeing that yeah absolutely and you know i want to just circle back to jenny mccarthy <clears throat> because i saw that and i caught one jb handley on there posting a link from a group called Physicians for Informed Consent. Uh, and just Bob as Sears's a group. Yeah. And ju- and just as a you know personal vendetta against them, I know that the anti-vaxxers in Minnesota printed off their ridiculous measles things and sent them to lawmakers. Yeah. Uh, you know <laughs> measles isn't a big deal. It's like ah bad timing that's no they they all know it is yeah um but so he posted that and so the question i always ask is well how many physicians you know, are these all the outliers we can ignore because usually outliers are actually ignorable in science mm-hmm. not not significant uh so how many and and then he, he you know he said oh i like how you discredit me here's a link about how you're a big pharma puppet and that you're a ruthless and horrible person and you like killing children and i was like Whoa wait okay so irony is not your thing apparently or it is your thing (laughs) um, okay so not really good at recognizing it (laughs) so i just ignored his taunts at me and kept asking him and then he's like you're getting creepy and i'm like i'm just asking you a question like if the answer is i don't know say that so finally he's like how would i know how many physicians are in physicians for informed consent but here's the board and you know the board of course includes uh, a, a bachelor in consumer science guy and you know people right. of all all manner of unrelated degrees which is fine you know i i don't have a degree in medicine and i acknowledge that and i acknowledge my limitations but mm-hmm. y- you know i'm also not billing myself as a physician against or physician for informed consent. Yeah. Um, so and then he doxes me. He looks up my my college. I, I went to the College of Saint Benedict, which is mm-hmm. a fabulous and amazing school, and everyone loves it. Um, and and he's like, "Oh, that's where you went to college. What a terrible place to go to college." I'm like, "What the heck? What is wrong with you?" <laughs> <laughs> and then he blocked me. Um, so that is sort hey. of the uh, woohoo. So that is sort of the tenor of my experiences 
that that's the tenor of the said no mother is it's really it's an attack but the other thing is while i'm going through all of this our friend matt carey from l you know left brain right brain pointed out to me that jb hanley used to be someone that the new york times would interview yeah he you know jenny mccarthy used to be someone who got slots on oprah and now they're relegated to a hashtag so the entire hashtag is sort of evidence that you know things have changed the tides really are turning yeah i don't you don't see the high profile stuff that you do see um is actually you know we saw stuff with de niro and occasionally you see a celebrity, a real celebrity, do something, but they're not calling in the the B list of of anti-vax faces anymore. Who used to get on talk shows and stuff like that. It, I think that realization that these are less than reputable sources has started to sink in, and people are pushing back against that false balance that mm-hmm. we've been going on about uh, for for ages. You it, know, it, speaking of false balance too. You know, as long as we're talking about the tides turning, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's been a good six months since I've had to write uh, a journalist one of my you know kind but firm emails about how they should not have used false balance in their reporting mm-hmm. um, and I used to have to write emails like that once or twice a week it, you yeah. know it used to be one of the main parts of what I did and now it's like it, it doesn't happen all that much anymore yeah well that's a good sign I- so the episode today isn't about J.B. Hanley or Jenny McCarthy, um, although J.B. Hanley is a dad, uh, mm. but it is about dads. And I just wanted to know, Nathan, in your practice, you know, how how often do you encounter the anti-vaccine dad or the, conversely, the very pro-vaccine dad? Um, you know, I see some of both. So I... I the the more interesting question is when do the 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 mom and the dad disagree because mm. usually they're on the same page. Yeah, a family mm-hmm. hopefully has had this conversation and they come in. Now I do feel like I often see the mom who is not in favor of getting immunized and the dad who is kind of like, well, whatever mom says. Mm-hmm. Um, conversely, I've certainly seen the dad that's very adamant about it and the mom uh, i i don't i don't know that i i see as often i feel like if the mom was in favor of it the mom would be pushing back right. so i i think it's an interesting i i don't have data to to look at although i'm sure there's data who that basically says that moms are more likely to be making the the, the immunization decisions in a family but is you know i'm going to want to talk with our guest about it. it's interesting to think about what do those dads what what can we do to encourage those dads mm-hmm, and hopefully we can get some insight there yeah so nathan i have exciting news for you what's your exciting news karen my exciting news is that this episode of the vax talk podcast is being sponsored by a very generous donation from the immunization action coalition Wow. So do we get to now vamp on the topic of Immunization Action Coalition like on some of the other podcasts that I like to listen to that I won't name? Yes, we do. But I'm going (laughs) to just read a little blurb because a lot of people probably don't know who the Immunization Action Coalition is. Okay. Um, Although I'm sure most people listening to this podcast have had interactions with IAC. Mm -hmm. So as many of you know, the Immunization Action Coalition is the leading nonprofit organization that provides immunization education resources to healthcare professionals across the United States. You can join the 50,000 subscribers to IAC's free weekly email newsletter by visiting www.immunize.org slash subscribe. That's www.immunize.org slash subscribe. Are you subscribed to their newsletter? I am subscribed to their newsletter. And I use their website all the time because they have some great resources. 
Um, they even have a great section where it's ask the experts. So if there's a really interesting, even a practice question where I'm like, well, what about immunizing in this scenario? Or what about these, you know, uh, the timing of this vaccine? And I don't find it on the CDC. I'll go to IAC and check that out because they'll often have some of those more detailed in, uh, questions and get the opinions of experts. And then I'll have a guideline to go by. Um, yeah, the ask, the ask the experts section is so interesting and it's super granular. I love mm -hmm. how, you yeah. know, it's just, and, and I could see why healthcare professionals would access that because you're just like, oh no, this child got his Tdap one month early. Now what do I do? Um, you know, questions like that. But it's also useful for parents. Um, they they have some really neat handouts. I'm not sure if you've ever downloaded those and handed them out to a parent, but they have some good handouts that I certainly link to when I'm talking to parents who want some more information and I want to give them something accessible. Mm -hmm. But they also have a website um, called Vaccine Information. And actually, if you go to immunize.org, they have a couple of different tabs um, for the public, for healthcare professionals, and for something else. Oh, for coalitions. And so if you click on the one that's for the public, there's a ton of really wonderful information about diseases and vaccines, including videos, including personal stories, including, um, you know, safety information about the vaccines. So it's it's incredibly useful, I think, for anybody. You should go, you should sign up, get the newsletter. Uh, go check out the, the website, the Immunization Action Coalition. We're not using the other action coalitions anymore. There We're just go. using the Immunization Action Coalition. How was yep. that? It's actually immunize.org. <laughs> 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 but otherwise, it was good. We're not using the other action coalitions. But we are going to talk to Dean Masello in just a moment. <laughs> Now we welcome Dean Masello, who is the a stay-at-home father of twin babies, former lawyer, now comedian also, and he is the author of the Woke Dad blog and also writes for Fatherly. So welcome, Dean. Hey, thanks for having me today. So your primary role right now, if I have this correct, is that you are a dad. That is, uh, yes, that is, is, in terms of uh, what consumes most of my time and energy, it is definitely being a father of uh, 21-old twin girls. Well, that, that <laughs> sounds easy. Um, <laughs> so you sit at home and eat bonbons with them, right? Right, and I'm usually drinking wine at noon, um, <laughs> which is actually what my wife uh, maintains, that if she was the one to stay home, that she would definitely be drinking and eating bonbons. Oh, absolutely. Um, she's a... Uh, practicing psychologist and goes to the office to see patients Tuesday through Friday and on those days has gone from roughly 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Wow. And occasionally mm -hmm. I'll, I'll get a sitter, especially if I'm uh, working on a, like a writing deadline, but otherwise those are long days. <laughs> oh yeah, that's the days are long, but the years are short. Yeah, um, for sure. So you have had a couple of forays into the whole vaccine conversation. Can you uh, describe to us maybe one of your first ones? Yeah. So I, on, on my blog, Woke Dad, I, I started attempting to sell some merchandise because I, I don't have any other source of income right now. And I, I have the uh, WokeDad.com, and then I have a big following on Facebook, about like 30,000 people, and most of them are friendly. I have some trolls, um, <laughs> and for a while they were just mostly men who um, mocked me for being a stay-at-home dad, which in their mind meant that my wife cheated on me. Nice. And, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I, I kind of would interact with them but then i realized that it there was no use so i just started ignoring them um because those people weren't trying to engage but then when i entered the uh you know the vaccine for a i started getting um mostly again support but actually a solid um i don't know what you call it say just response from the anti-vax community which uh most of my followers are women, and most of um, the commenters were women, but there were men too, and they were saying that I was just like a sheep, and I was brainwashed, 
and they're like, you know, do your research. And I was like, well, they first dismissed me as a comedian. And I was like, actually, I, I'm a lawyer. I used to do abuse neglect cases for children. And they're like, well, you're not a doctor. I'm like, well, my wife is a PhD. She <laughs> knows how to read research. And she and I have had extensive conversations about the research on, you know, the extensive research on vaccinations. And that still wouldn't calm them down because then they would just revert to the fact that, well, you're just brainwashed. Mm -hmm. um, and I had no, uh, I had no idea really how intense, like just before being a dad, before getting into this, I knew that there was a movement and as most people, I just blamed it on Jenny McCarthy. Right. Um, right. And so, but the, the, what really irked um, the, uh, the anti-vaxxers is I, I decided to design a t-shirt so that kids who had finished, say, their toddler rounds of vaccinations could wear this shirt. And I, I designed some other hilarious shirts that have nothing to do with uh, politics or vaccines. And the shirt, if, if you don't mind, I'll just read it real quick, says, I got 99 problems. Uh, and then from shortest word to longest word, it says, but polio, rubella, mumps, tetanus, measles, hepatitis, rotavirus, diphtheria, chickenpox, influenza, whooping <laughs> cough, and pneumonical disease, and the flu ain't one. Um, and again, most people uh, appreciated uh, the shirt, and you know, I had some people buying it, but um, the shirt itself was what really, when the, when the trolls or anti-vaxxers started coming onto Woke Dad and mocking me. It has since quieted down, but if I ever post anything vaccine-related, it's like there's some sort of bat signal where they just swarm on my page. And my wife and I, even though, so, you know, I'm at home with the girls, but, you know, we, we're pretty, you know, progressive all around so that I am in the position of, you know, taking our girls to the doctor most of the time and ultimately, you know, making the on-the-spot decisions. Um, you know, and I was raised more by a traditional family where my dad never changed a single diaper, had, had no input on, you know, decisions uh, regarding his kids. And, but, you know, as far as the vaccine go, like just, maybe it's just because of our level of education, it wasn't really an issue. Um, now we've befriended a couple in our building who also has a, a toddler, and they're also highly educated people. One's an accountant, one works for the UN. And uh, we go to the same pediatrician and they were all, you know, for vaccinating uh, their daughter, had no issues. I know, like, some parents are okay with vaccines, but they think they're of the, they've read the stuff about how, like, the schedule is too fast or something like that. And the only time that they spoke up about to one of the pediatricians in the, in the, in the office was they asked, the husband had read uh, research about the HEP, is it the HEP? The vaccine, vaccine that yeah. some parents are worried about, and again, he's not—he's actually like quoting like the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, at least in his memory. But I think the pediatrician immediately put him in like the anti-vax category, and he felt like was just kind of summarily dismissed and treated as like a rube. Um, and I honestly don't know if there's you know again because I respect him. Like, well, maybe he had a point. Um, but again, like my wife and I didn't have any issues with any of the vaccines or the schedule or anything, and our girls have received anything. Do you know anything about that, Nathan? About the hepatitis B vaccine concern or about... Yeah, the hepatitis B vaccine concern. And then, you know, you know. when it comes to just hepatitis B vaccine, I tend to, I, I, I tend to see that one get refused sometimes just because... If they're going to refuse something, they look to the one that they think that they're at the least risk for. And so it might be uh, the hepatitis B vaccine because, you know, the, the, the idea that because hepatitis B is primarily, although not entirely transmitted by needles or by sex, uh, they think that their family is then 
not at risk when the reality is that we see a fair amount of vertical transmission from hepatitis B, right? So there are some uh, moms that have hepatitis B and don't know it, even if they've been tested. Um, and so we're looking to reduce that risk. But I do think that I see that kind of, I, I do feel like out of all the ones, if the parents, if there's just one vaccine in the main schedule that they're refusing early on, it's that hepatitis B that they kind of pull out and separate from the others, despite counseling. So now my question kind of for both of you is, you know, we're talking about dads and mm -hmm. I'm used to talking about immunization and motherhood uh, because, you know, we still live in a highly gendered society where mm -hmm. women take on roles such as caring for their children's health care and they make a lot of the immunization decisions. But in the story you just told, Dean, it was a dad who took the baby to the pediatrician and felt dismissed, which is interesting because I hear that a lot from women that they feel a sort of paternalistic dismissal from doctors. Um, and I'm wondering if there's anything going on with dads as far as, you know, I is that common for dads to get dismissed in that way or to react to it differently than women? Or is it actually not as gendered as we think it is? I know it's a big question. You know, we know that um, it, moms do a lot of the medical decision making, so it tends to be moms that you that that are calling the shots, so to speak. Um, I've definitely seen bummed. it both ways, yeah, in clinic, where it, it's interesting. Sometimes I don't know if this is a deliberate strategy or if it is just the way that it works out. But one parent brings the the child, and then the situation is that they say, "Well, we're not immunizing," and they can't immunize until like it's the other parent who's not there who has said that they're not going to get the shot or shots and so short of immediately calling them and trying to talk to them over the phone which is probably not the most productive way to have a conversation uh about it um like you're kind of in the you're kind of stuck there but i've seen that with both like a mom bringing in the child and then it's dad who has said you know we really can't immunize unless dad's on board and i've seen a dad i've seen dads bring their kids in and then oh no mom's again we can't immunize you know i do it but mom's against it that kind of thing so i kind of see it either way i'm sure that there's <laughs> more like one way than playing another. a shell game there yeah right <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's, uh, yeah, it almost sounds like mo mom said I can't sleep over at your house, so I'm going to go mm -hmm. ask dad. Yeah, yeah. Mom said I can't be immune to measles, so let's ask dad. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I've I've seen, like I said, with the the, the people who tend to, you know, uh, can I say anti-vax? Is that like? Uh, oh yeah, go for it. Say that. Yeah. that uh, okay, so the anti-vaxxers who have addressed me on on my blog. When you are talking about people who are descending on your blog. The term anti-vaxxer applies far better there than anywhere else, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so they tend to be women, again, but most of my followers um, are women or fans, and I've read that most of the online anti-vaxxers are women, but is that just because women have, you know, traditionally been the caregivers? Because, you know, I've ran into a lot of conspiracy nuts, for lack of a better word, and it seems like outside of vaccines, you know, it can go in any direction. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who think like, you know, Newtown was some sort of made up event, uh -huh. you know, and I, I don't think that that's a gendered view, but with the vaccination, you know, I'm, it seems to be just a matter of, yeah, tradition. And in this case, when it was my, my neighbor, who's a dad, he... I know the, the pediatrician they see is a female. I wonder if he had seen a male, if, if like, uh, and it was a woman, if, if the male doctor would have given any more deference for being a man. Is there a sort of fatigue with doctors where you can have, uh, you know, a real anti-vaxxer who, you know, believes uh, that, you know, vaccines are just like, you know, for uh, you know, profit for big pharma and harm our children. But then if someone, whether a male or female comes in and is maybe coming from uh, a more reasonable angle, is there a mm -hmm. fatigue where you just don't want to deal with it? I, I don't know that there's a fatigue at the 
beginning. Like I'm always interested in talking to a new family if they're vaccine hesitant. Um, I think most doctors really do want to, if, if they're coming from a place where they're willing to talk about it and listen, that's really meaningful for us as physicians. We want to teach. We want to understand our patients better. We want to understand our parents better. That's why we do this job is to relate to people and help kids be healthier. The fatigue comes when you, you know, we, we, all of us, I think virtually every pediatrician who sees families that don't immunize, we're always like, yep, we talk about it every time, every visit, but you got to admit as a pediatrician, you get to that, like those visits down the line and you're like, oh, I just, I have to bring this up. I know how this conversation is going to go, but I'm going to do it because it's important so this family at least knows that I think that this is important, even if I don't think I'm going to make any headway. The fatigue sets in down the line for sure. Mm-hmm. It's important to remind yourselves, whether you're a doctor or a woke dad or an, another kind of advocate that, you know, even when someone's super anti-vax and they come at you with something they just found out and they think it's brand new and they're like, see, look, you know, William Thompson hates vaccines and Andrew Wakefield was exonerated. You're like, yeah, um, okay, so we've been here before. Let me just explain to you why that is a bunch of crap. Uh, Although you probably don't use those sorts of words and clinic but <laughs> me or nathan me. no i'm sure you do dean i mean dean <laughs> dean you and i can look at people and be like that's crap nathan probably has to be like in his doctorly way well let's look at what the problems are with i'm a doctor and i you know yeah although when i was an attorney in uh, representing mostly kids uh for it was you know abuse neglect was also delinquency um i had to deal with people who have a distrust for government and they think that me and the pro i was a public defender but they think we're all in collusion sure so, so i did have to kind of repeatedly explain to the parents like no and you know and oftentimes i would get frustrated because it's like i go through this every day but um but yeah online i can be a little more flippant i guess but i really you know generally kind of you know i want to use my platform if possible and uh, you know they say it's impossible to change you know hearts online um and i think it was was it your website i was kind of trying to see what's worked before and is it your website that um has stories personal stories of moms who or yes. it could be anyone yeah. who have come around who used to be just deep in the anti-vax community and one theme i saw was you know they say that it it's harmful to be in your little thought bubble or whatever like you know i live in brooklyn and everyone's like oh brooklyn's just this little liberal bubble um but some of these moms i think were genuinely concerned about like the welfare of their kids and that's how they got into the anti-vax community but then when they see that some of their quote-unquote friends or some of their you know associates are all of a sudden talking about newtown being like a false flag Mm-hmm. They, that's like like oh wait a second and i think my wife the psychologist would call that a uh, paradoxical thinking or whatever it's like when you see the extreme version of who you think you are it kind of makes you question yeah absolutely it's i, I always say it just takes one thing to, to get someone who is you know deeply entrenched in um, the anti-vaccine world to s- sort of break loose from it. And, and you know, it's it's interesting, too. Last month, I talked to uh, Chris Shelton on his podcast, um, and he is a former Scientologist. And as we're talking about the anti-vaccine world, he was like, oh, there's so many parallels to Scientology. <laughs> not that, I mean, not that the anti-vaxxers are a cult and, like, you, you have to, like, blood in, blood out or whatever, but, um, wait, that's gangs. Um, but it's it's more that uh, there's just, if, if you get that one, if you can just break loose one little thing, then the whole castle comes crumbling down um i i know there's one woman and we, we've never published her story but she told me that she kept hearing from people her friends who were anti-vaccine that the pertussis vaccine shed and she knew that not only was that not true but there's no way it could be true and she mm-hmm. kept trying to argue that with them like we should stop saying this because it's not true and in return she was attacked and that was it that was that was you know, she was like, wow, if you guys are willing to believe anything, even if it's patently false, 
maybe everything you believe is patently false. And I think that's why engaging online and being a person who's outspoken online really can make a difference because if you can just get one little piece of information, and, and it's interesting too because I actually saw someone online, um, every once in a while I do a search for our podcast, and I saw someone on the anti-vaccine side had listened to our National Infant Awareness Month podcast on um, pregnancy so last August and had shared it and said I didn't know this about the flu vaccine in pregnancy not that I think that you should get it because I'm anti-vaccine but I didn't know this and I was like aha I'm in your brain (laughs) we're we're gonna get you so I think that it's incredibly uh, uh, an incredibly good service that if you have that platform to stand there and say you know vaccines work we vaccinate yeah, and uh, yeah. Sometimes you might even just be planting a seed. They may, you know, c- uh, cut at you in the moment, but then, like you said, something happens. You know, sadly, sometimes it's that one of their children or many children comes down with one of the diseases that is protected by one of the vaccines, or they they didn't do any vaccines and their child is diagnosed as somewhere on the autistic spectrum. And full disclosure, actually, I did not talk to my wife. Uh, I didn't ask my wife if I can talk about this, but we are, um, so we have twin girls, and again, they're 21 months old, and they've been developing um, cognitively, physically, um, at widely different rates. So our one daughter started walking at 10 months. The other one didn't start walking till 16 months. Um, and, you know, sitting and all that stuff was along the same. And then cognitively, too, the other one's talking more. She's engaging more. And it's been that way. I've noticed it, again, since I've been at home with them since two months. I've noticed, to me, it's their personalities have been pretty evident since early on. And from, like, a, the age of, like, two to three months, the one baby was just really more engaged with eye contact, even back then. And... So I know some parents who um, have gone in the direction of, you know, they they may have already heard some conspiracies about vaccines and then they get vaccines, but then their child either still gets sick because some of them aren't, you know, are more um, foolproof than others, or they have a child who's autism and they use that anecdote to go down that route. And so our other daughter, because of, in part because of just the gap between her and her sister, we can't help but compare. And so even our pediatrician now, though, is a little worried. And it, it's, they say it's a little, it's like not really early enough to really know, but I think they're starting to kind of look for signs that might be somewhat correlated with autism later. Like say that child isn't talking. A lot of, a lot of toddlers don't talk until they're two or three but maybe that combined with another factor, they just want to jump in. So our doctor actually wants her to be evaluated um, for delays and um, has alluded to a possible like sensory processing issue. Um, and, you know, but we're already, <laughs> my wife and I aren't like, because of our education and where we're at, you know, we're not thinking, oh, is it possibly a vaccine? Right. Um, and I don't know, I've been surprised because it seems I've read that a lot of the anti-vaxxers are actually like suburban, you know, well-to-do, you know, housewives or mothers. And it just, usually education seems to be a buffer to this kind of stuff. But Right. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But well, Not um, necessarily in this case, because it, one of the kind of theories on that is that the, the other, the, the less other... Um, more serious stressors that you have the more you can worry and about other things so if you're not trying to make ends meet and you aren't having all these other toxic stressors that are associated with lower income then well you start thinking about you start are more you're more bothered by 
what's your latte like? And also <laughs> these issues that uh, thinking about how bad the ingredients in vaccines are or how bad this, that, and the other is and, and making uh, issues like that. I haven't seen any really good literature to indicate that there's better scientific literacy in, in the uh, anti-vaccine crowd out there, which would be a really more interesting thing to look at, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the the other thing I think is interesting about your story is that because you had sort of a control, you had one, you had two babies to look at side by side. Um, so you were noticing really early. And, and I think that's one of the things that, you know, if you're a new parent and you just have one baby and you get to 20 months old and your doctor says to you, you know, we, we got to look at some developmental things here because your child isn't developing the way we would normally expect. You know, at 20 months, if you're taken by surprise about that, you could be like, well, m- maybe it's the vaccines. We just right. got vaccines. So, you know, that's, I think that that that's sometimes is what's going on. I, I do want to, I want kind of want to get back to the dad thing too, because I'm wondering if you feel as though dads are normally that in tune with their children's development or if they are sort of latecomers to how their children are developing and then, you know, having that sort of temporal association in their brains occur. Um, although I do, I do know there are plenty of moms out there who believe that vaccines and autism are somehow correlated, but you know, what, what's the, what's the dad perspective on there? Well, I mean, I, I can mostly talk to, you know, my perspective as a stay-at-home dad who, you know, has hung out with a couple other stay-at-home dads, but, um, you know, they, like, have to be involved, but I know, um, so I maybe share this little anecdote, so one of my wife's college friends um, vaccinated her first child, but then got nervous, even though there, you know, nothing wrong with that child and hasn't vaccinated her younger kids. And she is like a stay-at-home mom and has never wanted, even though she went to college, she never wanted to do anything but a, be a mom. And her husband works. And so he'll play with, he's like the kids, he's like the friend of the kids. And she, she cooks, she cleans, she makes all the decisions. And I've, I actually like them both. And, you know, it's the, it's the thing where, like, I have friends who I grew up with who I... If I met them as adults and I knew their some of their beliefs, we might not be friends, but mm-hmm. <laughs> we're already friends, and I really like these people, and so we can actually have a discussion with them. And this dad in particular, he, you know, he's hands off about everything, including the medical decisions. He's like, "Well, it's up to her," hmm. um, and I'm just like, "Aren't you at all? Don't you want to do your own, uh, you know, research on this?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, it seems to be more of a caregiver issue than um, like a gender issue. And since it's mostly been, you know, women as the caregivers, but once you, you have to step up to the plate, I, I, I don't know if there's much of a difference. Right. So is there a way that um, you use your platform to encourage dads to get more involved with that, those everyday decision? Um, you know, it's funny. I When I first um, started, uh, I don't know how to say it. When I, when I first started as a stay-at-home dad, I, I, I started going to these local meetups for new parents, and it was just me and 20 moms. <laughs> and I was also the only one with twins, so I just really stuck out. And uh, I'm someone who grew up in Cleveland as a big sports fan, but I don't really follow it anymore, so... Uh, the times where I've hung out with dads, I'm like, they'll start talking about sports, and I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, could, I could tell you that Bernie Kosar played for the Browns in the 1980s. And so I actually, I, I relate pain equal there. to both, but you do have a lot of, yeah. <laughs> but I've been actually approached uh, like by a local, uh, there's like a play, local play space here, and um, I, I take the girls there, and the lady who runs it wants me to start running like a monthly dad meetup and so i'm supposed to be planning that and i've had a couple other people uh you know say like oh why don't you host uh you know dad play you know time at your house or and so i've been approached a lot by by a few people to start kind of using my platform um and so even though i i don't necessarily like 
feel like I have to hang out with dad so that I can see that the, there could be a benefit to uh, getting dads involved. Because once you have, you know, your, your spouse might not, you know, someone might not listen to me online, but maybe they'll listen to their husband who, right. if he actually starts looking at, you know, the research. So uh, I, I think I'm going to, you know, try to st walk in that direction. Um, again, with twins, it's just so hard to do anything. Right. <laughs> you know, I think in general, um, I think it's good for us to think about how we can encourage dads in particular to speak up about immunization because we see mm -hmm. you know a, a lot of moms online we see some dads online i don't know if this is it, tell me if this is your perception karen of of online um people who seem to be against vaccines that there are a lot of moms like the number that we see are moms like by and large in the comment section moms moms but the dads stand out as some of the nastiest. Oh yes, and oh. awful, yeah. uh, and that's not surprising given you know just kind of <laughs> other yes. areas of, of of the world where we see moms and dads. Uh, but the I, I would like to see more effort reaching out to dads to 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 stand up for this, um, because I always wonder about the dads of the of the kids where the moms are uh anti-vaccine and against it what are the dads saying how do they react to that and how can we kind of you know i i always say i don't want to cause you know big um family strife over vaccines but at the same time in the same way that we can just speak up and have our uh, what's important to us known and that can change minds if spouses speak up and it's apparent that a spouse thinks something and that they want to have their child immunized that can make a difference and those are kinds of conversations again that we want to be happening early <laughs> like during pregnancy before pregnancy that's when we want those conversations and those things to be made clear and i think it's important for dads and spouses in general in a family where they don't agree about uh what the spot what the other spouse thinks about immunizing to make sure that they are speaking up about that not necessarily fighting right but coming to a decision and making a plan what are we going to do and who can we talk to we can go and have a conversation with an expert we can go and um you know we can go to the literature together we can look at this stuff mm-hmm Absolutely. We could go to voicesforvaccines.org slash tools yeah. and download the uh, vaccine hesitancy toolkit to figure out how to have that conversation, just as an example. Do you think, Karen, um, did you teach in public or private school? Both, yes. Because oh, I've noticed, again, it, it, if with the anti-vaxxers, um, if we're talking about you know the notion that most of them are upper class and white, and it, they like you said they have they have a choice like a bag of choices that you don't have if you're poor if you're poor mm -hmm. and you have to send your kids to public school you're required well kind of <laughs> <laughs> um and i just i wonder how it does once the kids enter school age um does do some parents then does that help kind of does that change people or you know how do people who how do, how do parents get around that well, you know, it, it depends on what state you're talking about. Both Iowa and New York have better laws about vaccine uh, requirements for school than Minnesota does. So in Minnesota, you basically have to sign a form saying, I'm not going to vaccinate my child, and then have it notarized, and then that's it. You have to do that at kindergarten, and then again at seventh grade. So it's not terribly intrusive into your life. It doesn't, you know, ask you to stop and think about why you're not immunizing your kids um so it really it really depends you know then you get to california and california just passed sb277 that you know if you're not going to vaccinate your kids you have to homeschool them unless they have a medical reason for not being vaccinated and immunization rates went up by a lot mm -hmm. so you know those laws really make a difference um and how they're enforced make a difference yeah i um as an attorney i, I was I kind of was interested about that and i um, I did see California, and I think surprisingly, like West Virginia, another state, and Mississippi yeah, only have they're 
three states that have a ton of in common. Um, and it really should, it's, it's a public health issue. So your personal beliefs, whether it's religious or otherwise, are irrelevant. <laughs> and so I really hope that every state gets to that point. Um, it's funny, I have a friend here in New York. You meet all sorts of interesting people here. She, um, she grew up Armenian Orthodox, but she wanted to be a priest and they don't allow women, so she became uh, an Episcopalian priest. And it's funny, I also think she's the biggest skeptic I know. <laughs> like, we joke around <laughs> that, like she doesn't even really believe, but she, she definitely like you know believes in the, the teaching uh, of you know help the poor and the weak and et cetera. But she, in her position as you know the rector of a church, gets calls from mothers seeking. Um, religious exemption and I guess in New York I think they, they must still allow it um, yeah and it's often it's pretty it's pretty well scrutinized though in New York that's good yeah and for her you know for my friend's uh, defense like she's never there are often people who also just have never came to her church so mm. you know but nice you know, she she's not willing to bend just for that but uh, you know right. I don't know yeah, I mean, I, you, you know, the thing is, I think the vast majority of parents really do vaccinate their kids because they, they want them to not get sick. Uh, yeah. And and then we've got a big swath of parents who have some concerns, but they're certainly reachable. And I'm afraid that our laws make it easy to not reach them instead of to reach them. And that's really uh, what I'm concerned about. And, you know, and I really love the idea of getting dads more involved. And, and perhaps, you know, part of the way that we look at laws would be to have, you know, all custodial parents sign on to an agreement about not vaccinating instead of just the moms. I, I think there's got to be better ways of asking all the family members to take on responsibility and ownership for a child's well-being. Right. Yeah, I like the idea that okay. one day there will be a statue of woke dad who who saved America, <laughs> uh, ensured herd immunity for years to come. Um, there we go. <laughs> Perfect. So, Dean, thank you so much for joining us today and talking to us. And I'm just wondering if people want to get a hold of you or find you online, where do they find you? Um, and I, uh, thanks for having me on. I had a great time. And if anyone wants to hear more from me, um, you can find me uh, on Facebook uh, at Woke Dad or Instagram also at Woke Dad. Um, I'm on Twitter as Dean Macello because someone stole the Woke Dad handle before I got there. Um, and my website, WokeDad.com. So any of those places, uh, you could find me. All right. <laughs> You've got someone slamming Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Um, so I want to thank you for joining us, too, at home and listening in. Uh, I think that one of the best calls to action we can have for this podcast is if you're a man speak up and if you know men ask them to become vaccine advocates in their own personal lives and uh in their online virtual lives and we'll leave it there uh this has been the vax talk podcast my name is karen ernst you can find me at voicesforvaccines.org and I'm Nathan Boonstra. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is PedsGeekMD, or find me on Facebook or at my blog, PedsGeekMD.com. And uh, look for us to guest star in several other podcasts <laughs> that, that other people are going to be releasing during National Infant Immunization Week, the last week of April. You know, yeah. Marvel yeah. is pushing Infinity War as the greatest crossover event in our time. No way. And I'm telling you that what's coming up with Voices for Vaccines is, in fact, the most ambitious crossover event of our time. So be there. Yeah. It's going to be huge. All right. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.
Thank you.